You are listening to the Savage Fincast, Episode 8, Reality Bites. Chicago. A criminal mastermind called Overlord held our city in its terrifying grip. Ordinary cops were losing the battle against Overlord's super freaks and mutants. Then, a miracle happened. When I found him, he had no memory of his past. I helped him find an identity and a life. Now we have a fighting chance. Now we have the dragon. This is the Savage Fincast, episode 8. Back again, new episode. Uh, we're here. Uh, I'm Jim Purcell. And I'm Craig Olson. Uh, we're here again for another uh, Savage Fincast. Uh, we got a bit lined up. We're going to be talking about uh, the newest issue of Supreme, Supreme 66. And uh, later on, we're going to talk about uh, Savage Dragon 90 as part of our uh, back issue bin discussion, as we tend to do. Right. Yeah, and I think you were saying it was 90 your first issue of Savage Dragon? Issue 90 is a special distinction of being my first issue of Savage Dragon, so I've been looking forward to talking about it on the FinCast since, uh, for some time now. Very cool. Figured this would be a good opportunity. Yeah, yeah, and it seems like it's been a while since our last recording. I think I say that every recording, but this has probably been it's the longest been. since... It has been the longest. It's going on uh, almost uh, six weeks, I think. Yeah, and not necessarily our fault. It's just Eric's been kind of late with his books. Um, I think a big part of that is he's moved to a new house, and he's kind of fitting everything out, and he's got a new office space. and So I think that's pushed things late. Um, so unfortunately, with this episode, there's not a new issue of Savage Dragon like they, we thought there would be in our main uh, issue we're discussing is Supreme 66, um, and we're hoping by our next episode that you know Savage Dragon 181 will be out. Yep, that's uh, that's the, that's definitely uh, the hope. Yeah. What? But but before we get to all that, um, you reading anything interesting, Craig? Yeah, in the the non kind of Eric Larson universe or Eric related books, I'm reading a bunch of interesting things. But today uh, for this podcast, I'd like to talk about um, Orkstain, which I got to the table real late on. Um, it's on issue seven now, but I know the issues have taken a while to get out. Um, it's it's a writer artist. Um, you know, some, I'm trying to remember. Did the did the uh, the creator break his hand at some point? Is that why it's been running I don't, late? I don't know the back issue, the the backstory to it. But I mean, just looking at these issues, I can tell it probably takes a ton of time. They're just hyper detailed. The the artist is a uh, right artist slash writer is um is it Jim Stoko James Stoko, who uh, people might know him from the um. What's that baseball book that was just on Kickstarter? Um, drawing a blank here. Sullivan, Sullivan Sluggers. Have you heard about that? Have not heard about that. It's, it's his art. That's it's funny. Like a, it's a baseball book. slash zombie kind of book, and it raised like a ton of money. I forget how much, but 
it, it did really well on Kickstarter, and it's by Mark Andrew Smith, who did Gladstones um, and a bunch of other comics. Uh, he, uh, him, and James Stoko teamed up on an original graphic novel, like a hardcover, and did really, really well on it. And it kind of opened my eyes to his art. I, I've seen Orc staying around and didn't think it was a book for me. And after um, seeing that Kickstarter and seeing his art, I kind of went back and, and picked up um, issue seven of Orkstein and loved it and went back to eBay and back to my local comic shop and dug up all the back issues. Um, there is a trade that collects one through five of Orkstein. Um, and like I said, it's up to issue seven. I think it, the first issue came out in like 2010. Um, so It's also... I just checked. It's all available on Comixology. Gotcha. Yeah, that's. I may be check. I may check it out soon. In that case. Yeah. And James Stoko just uh, last week came out with um, Godzilla: The Half Century War through IDW, which he's uh, drawing, and I think he's writing that as well. Um, I kind of want to p- pick that book up. Uh, I uh, recently put his uh, blog on my uh, my um, RSS reader. So I've been following some preview art for that book. Yeah, it looks pretty intense. Oh, it's it's just hyper detailed. It's super colorful. It's just he's you know he's an amazing artist. Um, for those of you that don't you know I've never heard of him. His name spelled S T O K O E. Look him up online. His blog is tremendous. Um, and Orkstein, to sum it up, it's it's kind of like a fantasy book. It's it's. I'm not even big into fantasy books, but it's all about these orcs who are kind of like goblins. And the world is just like a totally alien world where technology is all kind of like organic. It's almost like, you know, to kind of make it basic, it's like Flintstones kind of technology where, you know, everything's yeah. like a living thing. So they ride around on living things. They, they have, Their weapons are made of living things. Well, I do like weird fantasy series, so it does sound like it's really up my alley. Oh, I really don't know why I haven't got into it yet. Probably just because of availability. It is a hard series to find right now. Right. I mean, there's no human characters. Everyone's like either an orc or, you know. In some ways, it kind of sounds like a spiritual successor to like uh, ElfQuest yeah. or those sorts of books yeah. from like I mean, the it, 90s. It's super violent. Um it's got adult themes. It's 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 just cool. And and you know, I know we've talked in the past about um, books like uh, Profit with Brandon Graham. And the funny thing is, from if you read Stoko's blog and Graham's blog, these guys are really good friends. I think they both live in Vancouver. Um, that would make sense. And you can tell because it's got you know it's got that same thing that Profit has going for it, where you just like immersed in this like whole alien planet, and it seems like there's already a different. You know, there's already a foreign language made up. They they use these words over and over again, and different things that are just foreign to the English language, and you kind of learn what they mean. Um, technology is just out of this world, just like yeah, I don't know. It's just like so alien and so cool. I got a good look at a issue mm-hmm. uh, that I found, and I really liked the packaging. It was like it had a, a double a wraparound cover that was very stylized. And it seemed like it had a lot of pages too, so it feels like you get a lot of content out of it too. Right, right. It's it does it definitely seems like a series I should have been reading from the beginning, but uh, apparently it passed me over too. Yeah, there's a ton of words in it, and t- but it's also very action filled and very detailed filled. I mean, some of the details are just even so small on the page you got to kind of squint to see them. So he must be drawing on these like huge 
you know, boards. I don't know, but the colors, everything about it is, it's really an amazing book. And you said, when it first came out, I, you know, looking at the covers, I kind of just passed over it. I didn't think it was a book for me. And now, I mean, this guy's gone way up on my list as like one of my favorite artists going, you know, out there right now. Um, it's just amazing. So it's a story about this kind of thief orc. He's got one eye. Um, you kind of learn the background as you go along, but, um, with the orcs, I guess they're all kind of vile creatures pretty much. And the backstory is that they're always, they're all, you know, uh, segregated into these factions that fight among themselves and finally there's this guy called the orc czar that um starts uh conquering all the different factions and having them all join as one big army and at some point i think it's in the first issue he's talking to the orc czar talks to an oracle and the oracle tells him that you know whatever great treasure he's looking for the key to it is an orc with one eye one-eyed orc so for these issues, this, this czar is sending his minions to go find this one-eyed orc, and um, so they've collected hundreds and hundreds of orcs that have one eye, and I don't know how they're putting them through this test or whatever just to see if it's the one that they're looking for. So this guy's constantly on the run. He doesn't know why he's being chased down, and he meets all sorts of like fantastic kind of allies and villains along the way, so... I, I can't stress it enough. Even the writing's solid, the artwork is solid. It's you know, it's something like I said, if you're into profit, it's it's even more accessible to profit, but with all the kind of alien and weird themes and that whole world that's already developed, um, it's a good read. And you know, I came to it late, so I snapped up the first seven issues, so it was kind of cool just reading them all at once. I think it will be tough going on where if we're not getting an issue for every, you know, three months or so, that, that might make tough reading. But I'm in it for the long haul, and I'll probably buy anything that this guy makes right now until he, you know, unless he lets me down on for some reason. But it, his stuff's really amazing. So that was my choice. Sounds really cool. I definitely uh, want to check this out now. Yeah, I mean, there's a trade that collects one through five, and then six and seven are out. So I know it was out of the trade was out of print, and then I think like a couple of weeks ago, they uh, they I don't know if it was a second printing or whatever printing just was re-released. So it's definitely worth your time, and I know like you like that kind of stuff, uh, Jim. I know you said you liked profit and um those kind of books that that kind of style, sci-fi style. So I think that yeah. Rally. So what are you reading? Well, I got my mitts on a new uh, trade collection of a book. It's called uh, Robo Hunter. Uh, this particular volume is Robo Hunter: The Droid Fo- The Droid Files, Volume One. And what it does, it collects. Uh, it's 400 pages. Uh, it collects a uh, series that ran in the anthology series, the British anthology series, 2080, back in the early 80s. Right. And it, it's about a. Um, well, he's kind of a. See, it's about a guy, he lives in the future, and society is, like, really dependent on robots, and sometimes those robots go wrong, and so they hire robo-hunters to track down these malfunctioning robots and either destroy them or repair them, and uh, he gets uh, suckered into a, uh, getting uh, drafted to be sent to this uh, alien alien colony world that was supposed to be... uh, 
built by robot machines, and then human colonists would eventually follow. But everyone they sent afterwards uh, disappeared, and so he's sent in to check, see what's going on, and he finds this world completely overrun by crazy robots. It's um, it's a it's a comedy series in many respects. It starts out as kind of a uh, a, a kind of action adventure series. The character is, you know, he's kind of. Uh, like those noir type crime noir type characters where they're kind of cynical all the time, right? Like a Han Solo and, uh, type guy, or yeah, he's kind of Han Solo ish, but you know, yeah, actually Han Solo is probably a good description of him. Um, but um, it's it, it eventually becomes much more of an overt comedy series after the first major story arc, and it's it's really good. It's uh, written by uh, John Wagner and Alan Grant. Uh, I don't know uh, if many uh, American readers know who they are. I know both of them worked on Batman at certain points in the past. Yeah, but it's but it's but the best part about it is it's drawn by uh, by Ian Gib- uh, Ian Gibson, uh-huh. who's got this. I don't know if he has any um, real uh, exposure in America, mm-hmm. but he's very prolific in uh, the UK and Europe. Right, and uh, he's got the he, he drew. The Ballad of Halo Jones by Alan Moore. Okay. It's prob that's probably the, his most well-known work in America. Mm-hmm. So for for this story, like when it appeared originally, like I'm not I'm not I don't know much about 2000 AD. I mean, I, other than seeing it on the stands and, and knowing it's like a, a fantasy sci-fi magazine from the UK. When yep. when the stories come out, I, I mean, how many pages are each? I know it's multiple stories, right? In in each issue or Right, it's a, it's a weekly serial anthology, and every issue has four to five uh, installments of ongoing series. And it's uh, always been like that, even in the 80s? It, it's always been like that since the beginning. Uh, the very first issue had, uh, what was it, Dan Dare, Invasion, um, Harlem Heroes, and I forget the others. Flesh, no, not Flesh. Anyway, it doesn't matter. So, the point is, yeah. So this is a 400-page anthology, so this is over... Like, well, it's not a 400-page anthology. It, it, it reprints this one specific series that ran uh, for decades. Oh, really? Uh, so it, it wasn't it wasn't an ongoing series for decades. It, it You got... Basically, how it works is you get, like, anywhere from 5 to 10 to 20 pay... Uh, 20... 10 to 20 installments uh-huh. over over that many weeks like for for 10 weeks robo hunter runs and then it you know goes away for a while and then it comes back in a year or two or sooner that's amazing though because yeah when you're saying it's over a decade yeah i mean robo hunter technically is well the last time it had a series in this in 2008 was back in 2008 mm-hmm. but yeah it, it's it's sort of it's sort of like it's like a series of miniseries in a lot of respects, yeah. except that they all appear in one single comic instead of individual comics. Right, right, right. Uh, but anyway, in Robo Hunter's case, it reprints uh, the first three or four major story arcs. Yeah. Uh, Virtus, Day of the Droids. And is it always the same writer and artist? Yes, that's one of the nice things about Robo Hunter is that for its most of its run. Was written and drawn by the same team. That's awesome. That sounds really cool. Yeah. It is, and, and this is only the first volume. There's two droid files. Vo- there's two 
Droid Files volumes. Both of them are about 400 pages long. Yeah, that's – I mean, and do you know, like, between the first story and the last story in that collection, is there, like – can you tell, like, differences in how, like, the artist and writer have evolved? I know you said it starts off oh, yeah. kind of serious and then gets more comedic. Yes, and it's action-oriented. It's comedic. It it definitely builds upon itself, and, and, and the characters evolve and change. And from where it starts to where this where the basically the main story ends mm-hmm. – a lot has changed for the character. Time has passed, and you know if you're into that sort of thing. I mean, it doesn't. It's not real time like Dragon is, but if you like, you know, stories that develop over time, characters that change, you know, events that matter. Yeah, it's definitely that kind of a series. And I guess you know most people that listening to this that are fans of Dragon, it seems like it would be up their alley with uh, you know having things that matter and time advancing. Right. Um. So how much is like how much is this collection? Is it a hardcover? No, it's soft cover. Um, here's the thing about it: it is an import uh, uh, from the UK. Yeah. They solicit in previews, and then they send the copies over, and you get it, and it has a UK price tag on the back and no American price <laughs> tag. And so, if you don't pre-order it, it's incredibly hard to find. Because they, nobody orders enough copies to have, right. and there's like no way to back order them mm-hmm. because they have to be shipped overseas. Right. I didn't actually pre-order my copy. I missed it. It's been out for a couple of years now. Uh-huh. I track. It's a series I like, and I want to reread it. And so, a couple weeks ago, I decided I needed a copy. So I got on, uh, I think Amazon Marketplace, yeah, and I found a copy for like twenty bucks. But they can go as for as high as like thirty. Yeah. Well, even thirty bucks isn't bad for four hundred pages. Oh yeah, it's good value, and, definitely. And being an import, but yeah, that's cool. Yeah, that's uh, like I said, I never really got into the you know. I think what kind of turns me off from it is like just that it comes out weekly and having to keep up with you know uh, two thousand AD as a magazine weekly. Right. But um, I mean, I like to think of it like this: four issues of two thousand AD, and I'm sounding like a salesman right now. <laughs> But in a given month, you get four issues of 2000 AD. Each issue has 30 pages of story. It's the equivalent of buying five American comic books in a given month. Yeah, yeah. And it's my experience, most comic readers buy more than five comics in a month. Yeah, right. Right, yeah. But I would be buying my comics on top of that, so I'd be spending way too much. It it costs a fortune, (laughs) believe me. $5.25 $5.25 an issue, and there's 50 issues a year. Yeah. But it is cool. It's I wish there were more American comics, like anthologies like that. You know, I might give up single issues and buy that. Like, I liked how, like, Clint collected all those, all of, like, Millar's comics in one location. Um, I kind of just dropped that recently because... I just I had just too much good stuff out at this point. I can't keep up with everything, but it's interesting. You, it's interesting you bring up Clint because, of course, Mark Miller is a is is a British person, and Clint is like his answer to 2000 AD because he used to work for 2000 AD. Yeah, and he thinks he can do it better. He's Scottish, right? Uh, or is he? Yeah, you know what? He might You're right. You he is Scottish. My <laughs> mistake. No, no insult to to Mark Miller. And his Scottish heritage. <laughs> um, but uh, my opinion of Clint isn't very high because it's all reprint material. 
Yeah. Or at least it's all available in other formats. Yeah, that's, and I think it's that's a waste a of time. Too, yeah. Whereas 2080, everything's if it's it's in 2080, it eventually gets a collection and that's it. You can't get it any other way. There aren't single issues available. It isn't, you know, it feels like if you're if you're reading 2080, you're getting what 2080 offers. Right. Right. And it isn't diluted through other editions. Gotcha. Should we uh, talk about Eric uh, Larson related news, which is kind of sparse this episode, but sparse, but very uh, late breaking and actually very uh, shock. Well, I say shocking, but uh, surprising. Um, I guess on Twitter, Eric broke the news that Corey Hampshire is going to be drawing the next two issues of Supreme solo. Uh, I believe that's 67 and 68. Mm hmm. Instead of using uh, Eric's breakdowns like he's done for the previous uh, three issues, right? Four issues, and that will be interesting. And the next, I wonder if that's going to be for the rest of the run, or at least you know. I know he's saying. I think they said Supreme sixty-seven and sixty-eight. I have a feeling if that goes well, it'll just you know continue on for the rest of Eric's run on this uh, book. Right, I could be wrong. Um, the interesting part of that is that you know it's the one that the issue that features Omni Man in '67. I would have liked to see an Eric's layouts on that, but you know I've really liked what I've seen with that Corey, what Corey Hampshire's done, and Corey has posted a few uh, pictures on his Facebook of Omni Man in action and Supreme. And I don't know if it's gonna be in '67 or if it was just him kind of warming up or screwing around, but from what I've seen, you know his solo stuffs. Uh, pretty damn good i enjoy it so i don't yeah, he, he definitely has got the a, a neat style to it and i'm actually curious on if he's going to continue trying to uh draw in that eric larson type style yeah. or if he's going to try to do his own thing without the uh the layouts to guide him yeah and i think it's more like it's the layouts that are coming through that we're seeing like eric style and i think if he gets away from those layouts you'll see less of that well, you'll definitely see less of that Eric influence, um, so it right. should be interesting. Um, I've seen, you know, I haven't seen much of his solo pencils, but I've seen a lot of his kind of sketches that he's done at commissions, uh, commission sketches that he's done at conventions, and I really, really like what I've seen. So uh, I think he's got more of like a Capullo, Greg Capullo feel to him um, than a Larson. Um, but, uh, you know, that might be just me. But I, I like it. I, I definitely like it. It'll definitely be interesting to see what they look like in a month or two. Right. Um, other big news, supreme news, actually. Uh, Eric has announced uh, via Twitter, I believe, that issue 70 of Supreme will be his last. I'm not sure how I feel about that. Yeah, you know, um, I, I would have liked to have seen him last at least a year, maybe 12 issues and – I think 12 issues would have been perfect. That would have been enough for two trades and, you know, whatever – I mean, whatever stories he wants to tell. Of course, if he only had a story to tell that would last until issue, last until issue 70, I mean, fair enough. But I don't know. It feels like an odd number. Right. I mean, what what issue did it – did the reboot – well, not really reboot, but what was the Alan Moore issue? The 63, was it? That, 63, yes. So Eric didn't so, really start until 64. I guess but, it's seven issues. I mean, you can stuff seven issues in an affordable trade. I guess that works. Yeah. 
Yeah, I don't. You know, I, I wish it would have been longer, but you know, hey, it is what it is. I'll take whatever. I'll take what I can get. Yeah, for as long as it lasts. Yeah, would you, you think you will stick with Supreme after Eric leaves? Honestly, it depends entirely who the creative team is and where it gets left off. Because uh, I need to make cuts, and I was only got on the series because of Eric. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I know, like I'm not. I think they just announced also that like Rob Liefeld is going to be taking over Bloodstrike. Which, really? yeah, I'm not, you know, I, I don't know. My opinion of Bloodstrike is non-existent, so. I like the artist that they have now, and uh, what's his name, the writer, uh, uh, the guy from Hackslash. Oh, the guy from Hackslash. is the, the writer, I think. But um, I don't know the artist's name, but I really like the art. It's kind of got that kind of uh, invincible feel on Bloodstrike, and... I don't want to be a Lightfield basher or anything like that. His art, Tim Seeley. His art isn't really my cup of tea. I mean, when I was younger, I, I loved Lightfield comics. and uh, I mean, I like his characters, obviously, and I like what these relaunches have done with all these new creative teams. So, I don't know. I don't really want to see Lightfield back. I feel like Youngblood's got that Lightfield feel, and that that's what, you know, that's what I'd like to see continue with the Lightfield look, but... I would have liked to see you know, Bloodstrike stick with the, the artists that they've had, but whatever. Right. Um, so it'll be interesting to see, you know, who uh, inherits uh, Supreme after Eric, if anybody. Yeah, I'm. I am curious to see who they get next, if or if they just end the series. I mean, that's always a possibility too. Still, sort of surprising, but I guess we all knew it wasn't going to last forever. He was only doing it, you know, because he, you know, got. Yeah, I think he got talked into it. He, he said before. Yeah, I don't know really. I can't remember if we talked about it or if he said exactly how. I, I mean, I think you're right. I think they, Eric Stevenson approached Larson and kind of got him to agree to do it. So, shall we talk about uh, Supreme issue 66? Which I think we should. Is out this week? Yeah, so it is It is out. And, um, you guys have your copies out there listening. Uh, grab them and flip through them with us as we... Uh, Follow along with us! <laughs> when you hear the bell ring, turn the page. Turn the page, yes. <laughs> the, cover is, the, the cover is pretty brutal. Let's start with that. Um, I don't... You know, we don't see that in the book at all. It's one of those kind of covers, but it was kind of a funny little touch of that, you know, the blood splatter and there's an ear just sitting there. It's a pretty uh, vicious-looking cover. Yeah, the ear is what makes the cover, I think. Yeah. It just it just gives that sense of motion that uh, I think uh, Eric's really good about. It's just... Like, if you could see the guy's face that Supreme's pummeling, it would just be, like, an oozing of like, guts. I don't know how to describe this properly, but you, you know he's lifting his arm back and not just holding it there because you know the blood splatter and the ear followed his fist as it yeah you know, yeah it's really was it's really dynamic. dynamic it's cool Eric's good yeah. with making you know his work really fluid looking so first page the name of the story is the awakening and how do you interpret that on on this maybe this is something to talk about at the end. the name the awakening yeah. Yeah, it's something to talk about. You know, I, I, I think I glossed over the name when I read it, but now that you mention it, I'm uh, 
you know, I'm not really sure. I mean, I think well, let's let's touch back on that at the end. We'll try to remember. Yeah. Um, but I think there's a couple of different ways to, to interpret that based on this issue. Um, and this issue kind of opens up with uh, Ethan and Diana. Ethan being uh, the Ethan here is uh, the Alan Moore Supreme that you know was the main character of this book for the issues directly preceding Eric's run. Right. And he's just the, the uh, you know, the the kind of the Clark Kent counterpart, which cl- cracks me up always with like, you know, the joke with Superman is, you know, you put a pair of glasses on and no one recognizes him. I think it's even funnier with Ethan because the guy's got snow white hair. He's got the build of like a 25-year-old weightlifter. You know, right, and because he wears glasses, no one notice, no one you know realizes he's supreme. That that cracks me up, but hey, it's comics, you know. Okay. Yeah. Um, of course, I mean, being my really first experience with this character, um, I, I find it kind of funny that he's a comic book artist who draws Superman comics. Yeah, I always thought that was a that was an interesting twist on the whole thing. Right, and I, it's in this, it's Omni Man, right? Right, he draws Omni Man, but Omni Man, of course, is a Superman uh, right. analog. Right, right, right. Who's, of course, based off Supreme's uh, exploits. Right, and had nothing. Many, many layers to that. And had nothing to do and came before Kirkman's Omni Man, which we'll get to right. later on. Um, but, you know, the, it opens up with they, I guess they try to go back to the Dazzle Comics headquarters, which is where they worked. And they get there, and now it's like a coffee shop, and they're like, "What the hell is going on?" You know, and I don't really know. I I didn't. I wish Gavin was Gavin Higginbotham was here to talk to us because I don't really know what happened in these previous Alan Moore issues with, you know, reality shifting every time there was like a new Supreme or whatever. But it seems like I don't know if you can kind of explain it to me, but it seems like. Ever since, well, I'm pretty good with the, I'm I'm pretty good with the, with interpreting the com- comic book, uh, what do I want to call it, uh, reality. Yeah. Well, what what seems to have happened is after the Citadel crashed, reality has been revised once again with the release of uh, Mean Supreme, and like, I don't know, like I like you, I've never read the Alan Moore issues, so I don't understand if there was a uh, mechanism in place for that that we as readers would see that. Right. But this case, it appears that I don't know. It's, it's like you know, details have been changed around them, and because they were like involved in the events that caused it, they're more aware of it. Right. Yeah, it's like I mean, as they're walking around, they kind of say, "Well, you know, what is it? You know, here's... you know what? You know what I think may have happened." God, because Mean Supreme got released, the world has reverted to the previous Image Universe Supreme. Right. That details. that's the feeling I get. I'm just like, you know, it's weird. I guess the characters that weren't in Mean Supreme's, you know, Image Universe world previously. I right. still have their old memories, and they're slowly starting to fade away. Yeah, as they get integrated into the new reality. Yeah, yeah. So I know they're saying, you know, like the Omegaopolis looks different, like dirtier, grittier. 
Right, because it reflects Mean Supreme's uh, disposition, being a meaner, grittier right. Superman right. So, than what uh, Ethan was. Yeah, I mean, maybe you know Eric can clarify at some point down the road, or it will just come clear to us as we read more issues, but I think you're... Uh, well, you bring up an interesting point. Ethan being a Supreme may not be affected by these revision changes, but, but, but Diana, being an ordinary human living in this world, the revisions are going to affect her more... Uh, obviously, I guess. Right, right. So, I don't know how. I, I don't think we see any of the other Supremes that we've seen, like Squeak. No, we issue. don't. So we don't know how their memory is getting affected, but we definitely know as the as uh, Ethan and Diana are walking around. You know, everything's changing. Ethan's apartment's gone. It's just this you know hole in the ground. There's no like it. You don't see anything. Any kind of aftermath from. The destruction of, uh, you know, Supreme's uh, floating uh, was it the, the floating fortress he had? Yeah, the Citadel. Citadel. But that, that does that does explain why nobody noticed the 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 death and destruction that would have caused when it crashed. Yeah, so you get a feeling that reality is just kind of bending back to the way it was uh, pre Alan Moore, you know, the Supreme's image universe. Right. So. And I think the hole where Ethan's apartment used to be sort of kind of represents that he has no place in this world. It's like his whole life has just been, you know, he just doesn't exist anymore. He, he the the world right. doesn't need another supreme, so it doesn't take into account him being around. Definitely. Whereas like Diana's apartment, as you see, is still there, but right. you know, Ethan's is gone because in this reality, you know, there is no Ethan. Supreme is always, you know, supreme 100 percent of the time. Um, he doesn't really have an alter ego, I don't think. Um, so, so we uh, we see that you know reality's kind of changing, and, and Ethan's apartment's gone, and then it skips back to a bunch of kind of freak mutants. Looks like they're robbing a a, a bank truck. And Supreme comes on the scene, and it's funny because you look at these these bad guys, and they kind of look like the Uglies Unlimited guys from Savage Dragon. I thought they looked like well, Bud Ugly was one of them. Yeah, right? I guess. But do you remember like when they were doing the whole Uglies Unlimited? Uh, Eric kind of had those as like villains for a while. They had captured. Oh, no, Sheet I don't Dragon. remember any of that. They all look kind of green, and they had those kind of like abomination style ears and stuff like that. So I'm wondering if and the scroll shit. Yeah, yeah. I'm wondering if it's that same uh, same kind of guys that are from Savage Dragon, or if that's just Eric doing his generic baddie. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to tell, really. I mean, they they do obviously look like you know, well, they look like uh, your typical Eric Larson uh, green guys. Yeah. yeah. And it's it's funny. You would think, you know, Supreme being Supreme and being world famous, that these guys would learn that, you know, shooting him with bullets isn't going to do crap. But, you know. They, well, this one guy, <laughs> he seems to be pretty on the ball. <laughs> I don't think uh, this gun's going to do right. much, but I'm going to use it anyway. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Mean Supreme just kind of blasts his arm off. And it, it really reminded me of when uh, Eric did his Solar Man run in Savage Dragon. It's that same kind of character. Solar Man, for those of you that don't remember uh, or didn't read it, Solar Man was a character in Savage Dragon, which kind of filled this mean Supreme role, this evil-type Superman role. And uh, 
uh, Solar Man. I think it was in the 130s of Savage Dragon around that time. Yeah, he pulled no punches. He he killed anyone Punisher style. Yeah. Anyone he perceived as a negative or evil influence. Judge, jury, executioner. Yeah. So, <laughs> I love uh, the panel as you go along where he just uses optic blast and just kind of completely blows the guy's brain out the back of his head. It's kind of a funny... It's, a, it's those small touches. <laughs> that really make this book. Yeah, it le- leaves the guy with, with the one arm just alive to spread the word that he's back and, you know, he's done with giving free passes. So, uh, moving on, we have... Uh, Ethan and Diana still kind of wondering what the hell's going on. What were you saying? I said, uh, is is Ethan and Diana uh, just, you know, getting reacclimated to the world and discovering that things are different? Uh, Her apartment, like I I said before, her apartment still exists, so the world's taking into account her existence. Right. But it's created this whole new backstory for her, apparently, where she finds a message on an answering machine – of uh, her current uh, boyfriend, who is most certainly not Ethan Crane. Yeah, and it's cool because it's like she hears the message and then Ethan's like, what's going on, you know? And all of a sudden, I think now reality is starting to, like, screw with her. Creep. Yeah, creep into her head and because if nobody else around remembers any of this, why should she? Right. I I think that she's she's getting revised, you know, that she really will probably get to the point where she doesn't know Ethan Crane. Right. And you got to wonder where that's going to go, because uh, that brings up a lot of really interesting ideas, at least for me. Like Ethan uh, will be a man out of place, you know. Yeah. And I mean, their relationship it seems pretty integral to the book. So I'm pretty sure we're going to see her again real soon. Right. But it'll be interesting how they, they deal with this. Right, right. So... You get the panel coming up next where it's like just that shot of Supreme. Where is he on the, um, in this panel? He's kind of – it looks like he's in like some snow-capped areas. But that's the thing. There's a city in the foreground. I mean the background. Yeah. Like nestled inside this – I don't know. It seems – the perspective on this is really weird because it seems like he's a giant. Uh, yeah, like I don't know. Towering over a tiny city. Yeah, I guess. I didn't get that, though. I mean, at first I thought maybe it was, like, he was on Antarctica, but there's, like, a city. Then I thought maybe he's on the moon because they no, put the citadel on the moon, but the there's an atmosphere, so that can't be it. No, he, he's looking over, the, what's the name of the city? Uh, Megalopolis. Oh, all right. That's definitely Megalopolis. Maybe there was something in the Alan Moore run or previously where the city was, like, nestled in a mountainous valley oh, or all something. Oh, right, yeah, because I didn't, I didn't get that. I mean... It's just it is kind of a weird place to put a city, right? You know, it is kind of and like I said, it's got some weird perspective. Yeah. I don't know. It could be a little bit more clear about what's going yeah. on. Yeah, yeah. And so, kind of, Suprema catches back up with Mean Supreme, who, in his reality, doesn't have a sister, so he doesn't know who she is and really can't be bothered by her. And she's trying to talk sense into him, but it, you know, it's not working. He doesn't give a damn. Uh, and he's really just an all-around jerk there. And she doesn't really quite understand what's going on, so she's trying to appeal to his better judgment when uh, he doesn't have any. 
And, uh, of course, that'll get you in trouble every time. I had to laugh at, like, his hokey kind of villain-type talk. Like, his one part where he's like, you must be thinking of that milksop supreme from your lily-livered reality. It's like, that's a little over the top, but it's kind of funny. It's it's funny comic book writing. Of course, he remembers the previous supreme in the previous universe. I don't know. It, it's got to be all tied in. Well, that's, some that's a meta- metaphysical right. thing tied into the su- supremacy or something. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I don't know. Comic book logic. Well, comic. Science. I don't know. I mean, it might not affect the Supremes for some reason. Because she remembers too. Uh, Suprema remembers too. So there's something going on where the you know the Supremes don't you know remember that i mean they they do remember what happened before whereas like normal humans aren't remembering or reality screwing with them so because don't forget you have uh from the previous episode previous issue you have uh what's his name uh dax is the duck what's his name uh right dax uh yeah darius darius, darius duck, duck. Yeah. yeah he's still out there somewhere yeah so I guess I, well, I don't know. I guess with the uh, supremacy destroyed, maybe they all keep exist. I don't know. The logic is a little lost on me here because uh, if the world got revised. Why does Suprema still exist? Right. I mean, nah. Right. She's not actually supreme. She's a supporting character of Supreme. Well, so and we're not seeing reason. anyone disappear from reality. Good point. We're just seeing people kind of meld back into the current. You know, reality. People are losing right. their former memories, I think, except for the Supremes. But you know, I, I, I'm sure it's going to be all explained. It's part of the the story, and I think that's of what course. they're trying to do is make you kind of guess at what's going on. Because of course, the really confusing thing about this issue comes next. With Ethan Crane has uh, gone to a local comic shop. I think we're to assume it's the same one we saw back in 60, uh, 60, issue 63, yeah. except for it's all different. It seems uh, a much more Liefeldian world. Uh, yeah, it's, there's no Dazzle Comics in this world, and it's Image Comics. So it's kind of like, you know, like I think we were talking about before, where it's like this universe is the, you know, mean supreme universe that happened, but, but, you know, before Moore's run. So it's all image-based books so i guess they're reading about characters that i guess the comic books are made about characters that exist in the real world which you see in savage well, dragon well the, yeah we actually that's a good point you do see that in savage dragon there is a savage dragon comic book in savage dragon that's based on his adventures but in invincible it's there is no invincible comic book in invincible that's true there's science dog the most popular comic book in invincible but there's also an Invincible. There's didn't Omni Man write books, so all of his adventures are cataloged. Wasn't he an wasn't Omni Man an yeah, author? But, he, yeah, but he was a novelist and he 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 heavily fictionalized his exploits. Yeah. He didn't write and he didn't write superhero stories. He wrote science fiction novels based on his days living in space. Yeah, but is it that far fetched to think that they would be like, uh, you know, made in comic book form? <laughs> Translated Maybe, to comics know. or whatever. It, but anyway, I mean, it could be anything. It's, I don't know. It, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me, uh, you know, at face value, that there would be an Invincible comic book when 
later on in the issue, Omni-Man shows up. Yeah. I don't know. It's, uh, I don't know. I think there's something going on that's going to explain the, the incongruities here. Yeah. Um, it's definitely all part of the revision stuff, but, uh, I, I just honestly took it as it's done in Savage Dragon where there's a Savage Dragon comic in Savage Dragon because they write about his exploits that... Right. From the way I took it was that, you know, there's an Invincible comic out there too because they're writing about the exploits of Invincible. Yeah, but it works with Savage Dragon because he has no secret identity. In Invincible, all the characters have secret identities. Yeah. So, I don't know. Well, you also don't know. Maybe the, you know, the book's... Maybe they fictionalize everything. Yeah, yeah. Except the public, uh, public knowledge exactly. stuff. Anyway. So... Uh, comic books within comic <laughs> yeah. books. Head's gonna explode. Yeah. I wonder, wonder if uh, Supreme 66 in Supreme 66 yeah, right. has the events as we read them. <laughs> um, so he, you know, Ethan's looking for Omni-Man, which is the book he he draws, well, right? Yeah, he draws it, right. Diane writes yeah, it. Yeah, so the guy's like, oh, Omni-Man, you know, by, he's like, by Dazzle Comics, and the guy's like, you mean Dazzler, like in the X-Men? So this, all the comics that exist kind of are the same comics that exist in the real world. So yeah. um, he's like, oh, Omni-Man, he pulls out an issue of Invincible that stars Invincible's Omni-Man, which, of course, is different than the Omni-Man, you know, Alan Moore created for this series. Same right. name, but, you know, it's pretty cool kind of. Completely unrelated. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, Ethan looks at it and he's just basically like, this isn't the book that he drew. So he's like, you know, I think he's getting the picture that he's screwed and everything's changing around him. Right. So we snap back to a great little splash page of Suprema giving a supreme a nice shot sucker punch yeah and basically just starts kicking the crap out of him and he's not fighting either he's not fighting back or he's taken by surprise because i think he's probably a lot stronger than she is so yeah he does seem to not really be reacting in these next couple of pages you'd think if he had any inclination he'd be Every time he gets hit, he looks like he's limp. So maybe he is intentionally just taking the hits just to show off. Yeah. Because then he gets knocked into a mountain as they as it happens, and uh, just kind of walks out. Well, breaks yeah, out. Yeah, it's a great. You know, you can tell it's definitely a an Eric Larson kind of designed page there when, when he busts out of the the mountain with the Brachabadoom. It's a pretty cool layout. And he's like, basically, he's had enough. So the tables turn, and he's just beating the crap out of Supreme and pretty bad. And uh, the whole way through, it kind of cracks me up. And sometimes I feel like this is a, a little over the top with Supreme. And I, I guess that's probably the point. But you know, he always like harps on the, you know, you worthless cowards, you liberals. You let this world be overrun with rapists and killers and blah, blah. He always throws the liberal line out and all that. He's really heavy-handed. Um, yeah. Of course, I'm not sure if that's a previous character uh, trait that he was uh, 
I don't think very conservative, very very uh, proactive conservative in his ways, or if it's a, I don't know, a jab. I don't know. Yeah, I don't think he was. I, yeah, I'm thinking the the, the early Supreme issues. He, he was definitely an a hole and definitely like the jerk Superman, but I don't think they kind of mentioned the whole, you know. Is played up as political yeah. uh, affiliation. You know, and to be honest, his, uh, I don't think that people use the term like as strongly back then when the original Supreme comics were coming out. So I don't know. I mean, it's yeah, always been point. liberals and conservatives, but it seems like you know, in the past ten years, it's really you know, ten or so, maybe fifteen years, it's really gotten over the top. We're going back and forth about. Liberals and conservatives and commies and whatever. But anyway, so he's basically. Go ahead. I was gonna say it's too bad. Uh, uh, Supreme and uh, Super Patriot didn't get into more of a political bar, uh, political debate yeah. last issue. Yeah, yeah. Because he Super Patriot's super liberal. Yeah, definitely. And even um, was it last issue when? Even Supreme made a comment about like, oh, we have a Muslim for a president or something like that. Yeah, you know he did. I think he, I think he said something. Yeah, like it's that. just yeah. super over the top. But I don't know. I wonder how uh, conservatives feel that read this book. <laughs> I'm not sure. Uh, well, it's the weird part about it is uh, who does this book really appeal to? I think uh, any good comic should appeal to everyone on a certain level. Right. But uh, clearly, Supreme spouting off uh, hate speech and ignorance is not going to play well if he's uh, coming across to, uh, as a stereotype. Right. But, I know, he's supposed to be played up as kind of ridiculous in his stance. So. Yep. So he starts creaming on Suprema some more. And he's, uh, I think he's probably about to kill her when he gets stopped by... Turn the Omni Man. Yeah, it's a sweet uh, splash page. Uh, Corey Walker, I know Corey Hampshire does a good rendition of Omni Man. There, just looks pretty cool. That's a pretty good mustache. Yeah, I've always liked the design of Omni Man. How he doesn't wear boots. It's it's kind of silly, but it makes sense at the same time. He's you know he's really got no need for him. I'm sure his feet. Yeah. You know. Of course, he ori- he originally wore sh- his original costume had shoes. Right. He's still wearing his uh, prisoner jumpsuit, I think, from that arc where he was prisoned. Oh, and this no, like, isn't turning- that that's his like uh, what's COP stand for? Uh, Coalition of Planets. That's his like. Oh, that's right. It's like, man, it's been a while. I got to reread Invincible. It's been a long time since I've really reread the yeah, whole thing. Yeah, it's a great book. But but it should be a pretty good fight next time cuz here's a character who can actually stand up to supreme or at least we hope so or think yeah, so yeah yeah toe to toe and it makes you wonder where this fits in you know maybe it doesn't matter with invincible continuity but the, the only powers viltrumites don't have are uh sensory and eye powers right right so yeah that the splash is pretty cool too because like you look at Suprema and she's just all bloodied up, and you would think that you know if Omni Man didn't show up, Supreme would probably get pretty close to killing her. So 
it just goes to show you how vicious this guy is, and he's definitely more of a villain than a than a hero. Right. And you know, I think that's the direction. You know, Eric has been pushing all along. We're we're gonna see those other supreme versions out there, kind of hunting him down and and uh, trying to stop him. And that's kind of why I'm kind of worried about this uh, the run ending with issue seventy because. It only feels like things have just gotten started. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it feels like we're still kind of reeling from, you know, the opening of the series and this issue. We're still trying to figure out how things are going to move on. And with Eric ending at issue 70, it just seems like it's a little soon, but we'll see. Yeah. One thing I learned a long time ago is uh, don't second guess Eric Larson. Yeah, yeah. So that... that he just, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I was going to say, he generally knows what he's doing. Yeah, I'm really disappointed. Um, so, I, I I mean, look, I mean, I'm just happy that we're getting seven or eight issues out of him on Supreme on another, you know, comic. So, I'm here for the ride. We'll see, you know, how it ends up and, you know, how it compares to other great runs he's had on other books. So, um, but... You know, Supreme versus Omni Man should be a classic. It'll be a real interesting to see how yeah. it ends up, and that's what we'll see supposedly next issue. Next quote unquote month, right? So that wraps up Supreme sixty six. Um, Overall, um, I think. Uh, it's a good issue. It's kind of a transitional issue. Uh, honestly, not a lot happens. You get, you know, a good gratuitous fight. You see, uh, really, Ethan Crane's story moves forward more than uh, Mean Supreme's story. Yeah. Uh, we start to see what kind of world Ethan has uh, gotten himself into. So, uh, I'm more. I'm actually. I'm more interested in the ramifications of that, really, than the uh, throwdown between Omni Man and Supreme next issue. I. Well, I hope that fight's really, you know, epic. I hope it doesn't take up too much. Right. I I agree that um you know, when I first read this issue, it didn't grab me as much. And actually even just having this conversation with you and talking about the possibilities have kind of made me like this issue even more. And I found that I think with a lot of most of these Supreme comics that I've read since uh you know, issue 63 the first readings, I've, I've been like, oh, it's okay. But after like a second or third reading, I've gotten much more out of the books. Um, and yeah, I'm with you. Like with with the Supreme Omni Man, I think it'll be interesting, and I hope it's a great battle. But I also want to see what's going on with the rest of the Supremes. I want to get some answers on what's going on with reality. I want to find out, you know, how the other Supremes are gonna play a role in this book um there's a lot that can go on in this book and a lot of fun kind of things could go any which way with the the villains and characters in this book and i'd like to see it fleshed out yeah it's gonna be uh gonna be interesting so um now we're gonna take a few minutes and we're gonna talk about a issue that's very near and dear to me an issue of savage dragon of course uh, issue number 90. Um, Savage Dragon number 90 was my first issue of Savage Dragon. 
I uh, honest, uh, it came out when did it come out? It came all the way back out in two thousand one. Wow, eleven years ago now. I'm getting old. It was weird. Two thousand one, I graduated high school that summer, and I was, I had my first job, and I was out on my own for the first time. And because I had a job, I finally had disposable income, so I could actually go to a comic shop regularly, which is something I was not doing previously, you know, due to transportation, money, access, that sort of thing. Right. Um, so I was reading – I was basically burying myself in all kinds of things. I think I was reading I, – I was getting into CrossGen at the time, CrossGen Comics, if you remember that right. company. Yep. That really was a major influence on me, and I was I, – I think – I'd gotten into Noble Causes. I think that had just launched. Sounds about right. By Jay Faber, and that really got me excited about independent superheroes. Because at the time, I think my main reading material was I was reading Earth X from Marvel Comics, which was like Jim Kruger's like alternate reality, possible future Marvel epic, which was pretty good, but uh, I was reading a lot of Marvel. I wasn't into DC quite yet. I was reading Fables. I was getting into Vertigo. But it was weird. One day I walked in. must have been in September. I don't know. These cover dates are never really accurate when the book was actually out. But I look over on the wall, and I see this black cover. All right? And I'd seen other issues of Savage Dragon from previous months. Uh, I think 89, I definitely thumbed through. Or maybe I didn't thumb through it. I saw it. Uh, I don't know. It looked kind of flashy, but I saw this cover, and it had it was all black, and it has it, it, just to describe the cover to our audience. We'll uh, post a picture of it. It's, it's all black except it's got Frank and Dragon, and Dragon's like uh, squatted down in front of a tombstone, and Frank's telling him that she's dead, Dragon, and you killed her. And it's weird because when I was younger. I have vague memories of watching the Savage Dragon cartoon. I only remember, like, one episode, and that's, like, really vague. Even that one, it was, like, Dragon goes to, like, this haunted house, and, like, he's trying to find out his identity, but Alex is with him. And I see this cover, and the only she I can think of is, it's Alex. All right. I have nothing to go on for that. And I go, all right, I want to find out how Alex died from the cartoon I watched, like, 10 years ago. <laughs> and so I pick it up and I thumb through it and I I don't know the style of it was just so different than what I was expecting. What were you expecting? I honestly I you know what I was expecting? I was expecting early 90s life film. Yeah. Because early 90s image comics was a major turnoff yeah. to me. Rob Liefeld, I know you were a fan of his in his early days, and but I wasn't. His I was also, art, you know, thir- 12, 13 years old. But right, <laughs> it's just I don't know the, the muscles and the and the and I don't know and the the over sexualization of women. Yeah. I actually found it all kind of embarrassing yeah. to be in the same zip code <laughs> as it being with my parents nearby. Right. So I avoided all that stuff like the plague. Uh-huh. All right. And I kind of lumped Savage Dragon in with that. I had a vague, you know, I, I saw articles about Savage Dragon in like Wizard yeah. once yeah. in a while. I, I just I ignored all of it, and I went on reading Fantastic Four and X Men. Right. 
but in 2001, I was you know really trying to expand my horizons, trying to get out from the Marvel, being the Marvel, the Marvel zombie. I was pretty much uh, had been for forever, and I don't know. I thumbed it open, and it was definitely different. The art style, number one, was big and it's bold, and lots of really interesting you know black line work. And then of course there's Neutron Bob. This issue being my first issue is probably probably why Neutron Bob is my favorite character, my favorite, you know, quote unquote villain in Savage Dragon. Yeah. Well he's got a real cool design, there's no doubt. He's got awesome design. And of course after I picked this one up, I immediately picked up eighty nine because he was on the cover of that one. Not to not to interrupt you, but um just before we get too far, uh it is kinda cool that you said, you know, the cover grabbed you and everything because he goes, it's just yesterday or the day before. I mean, at this point, you know, I'm not sure if you know, but, you know, uh, Joe Kubert um, died. He passed away. Yeah, I did learn that yesterday. That was definitely a loss for all and of us. And Eric posted a bunch of his favorite Joe Kubert covers, and, one, and then he posted a couple of Savage Dragon covers. And this cover, he said, was really influenced by Joe Kubert, um, which you can see just by – you know the layout and with the the text uh, bubbles, which you know right. by this time in 2001 you, you really weren't seeing, and it goes on to today. You're not really seeing many comic covers, if any, that have text bubbles, speech bubbles on the cover. Yeah, you're right. You don't see that at all anymore. Right, really. and I know Eric said you know this this cover was really influenced by you know, past Joe Kubert covers. So it is interesting that you said that this grabbed you and it is one of the more iconic kind of Savage Dragon covers. Um, but yeah, in, 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 you know, the cover grabbed me, but it was definitely the content that kept me around. Right. I mean, I read it and I see it was so long ago. It was really hard for me to know exactly what I understood and what I did. Yeah. Because now I know all of this. I know all of the background details of what the hell all this was, what was going on. Because at the time, issue 90, we were in the Savage World. Um, everything was different. Dragon was still trying to find out what all the differences in the timelines were. Who knew him? Who didn't? Right. And, you know, when I came onto it, I sort of got an, a notion about all that. Because, you know, Dragon was pretty – I mean, uh, Eric was pretty good about recapping Yeah, things. and this issue specifically, because when we talked about, you know, doing a, a review of this issue, I went back and reread it. And he – this is a pretty text-heavy issue, and he really goes through it pretty well on what's going on. So if you were a new reader yep. at the time and you read this, you would be pretty much up to speed on what's going on. Yeah, the first three pages with just Dragon and Bob in the car, just talking about you know the previous uh, you know the history of this new world and where Dragon's from and all the differences and that sort of thing. That really got me up to speed. Yeah. So that when later on, like when Rock and the other underground mutants show up, um, you uh, I got the idea, the sense that these were characters that Dragon knew previously, right. but they were you know their their details, the slight details in their in the past has changed. And I, I could pick up on that, and I think that's really what drew, uh, pulled me into it is because I got this sense of this huge backstory that I wasn't yet privy to, right. which, but I wanted to right, know. right, right. I wanted to go get into all that stuff and find out 
what what their deal I, I, is. What 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 what's changed? I envy anybody that's getting to Savage Dragon right now because it's a ton of fun to go back and piece things together and get back issues off eBay. I mean, it's the same writer and artist for 180 issues, you know. So it's fun to be jump into something and be like, oh, you know, I, I want to go back, and go through back issue bins and eBay. I'm. I started. I dropped Savage Dragon. I think around like issue twelve or something like that. Um, when I kind of got into my junior year of high school and wanted to spend money on a car and whatever, and girls or whatever, you know, whatever it was, it just got out of comics. Right. And then the same kind of like you were saying after uh, after college, I got a real job and I had some disposable income. I kind of crept back into it, and I got back into it around like the 70s around right before the like i think the issue right before the savage world right before like 75 76 and uh but yeah it's it was real fun going back and and trying to piece everything together and getting 10 issues at a time on ebay or whatever it's just a lot of fun yeah i uh, immediately picked up trades of you know for as my all the all the trades that were available really yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah starting a baptism of fire and working forward from there. So it w- within a year, I was as caught up as I could be right. uh, with all the trades, and of course, I'd added it to my pull list. And I think issue one, issue one hundred was looming, and the hype was building, and that's when I got involved in the Savage Dragon uh, message board community. Oh, okay. uh, remember that old? Uh, I don't know if you were on the old message yep. board with all the uh, the old uh, tree yeah. style. Yep. Yeah, this was a. Uh, of course, that style was out of out of out of out of fashion. Uh, even then. yeah, I mean, I, like even when we were talking to Joe Keating back a few episodes ago, I remember when he used to post on that. I remember Kirkman posting on that, and yeah. as long as I've been posting on it, Gavin's been on it. And there, was, you know, all, there was this group of guys for people that you know don't know, but there was a group of fanboys called that called themselves the Brotherhood of the Finn and. They've all pretty much most of them have kind of moved on. I think some still collect, but they don't really talk as much. But they used to be a real tight knit community of dragon fans that used to have their own separate kind of little club and yeah. message board and stuff like that. And that was a huge boon to getting into Savage Dragon was having that community yeah. there to to help me fill in the yeah. blanks and figure out where to go next and all that stuff. And this is definitely like. A great issue though to to pick as like your first issue. The art's gorgeous. Yeah. The panel layouts, I love those like twelve box panel layouts kind of. And it, you know the beginning of this book is kind of like a, a buddy action flick where you have Neutron Bob and Dragon are kind of like buddies just trying to survive on the road. And it's got humor, you know, and action, and it's just fun. Is it's really dynamic. And, and, yeah, you got the you got these two weird looking characters, you know, Dragon and Bob. They're in a truck, in like a bombed out city, and you turn the page and they're being attacked by space aliens. Yeah, it's, a, it's I mean, so off the wall. It's so completely bananas. Yep. I I knew I was hooked. Yeah, and there's a splash page on here. It's nothing but a sound effect and like a big atomic type explosion, and it's just gorgeous. <laughs> it is. That's uh yeah, and then you know little things. I mean, 
like I said, I didn't know all of the stuff. Like uh, when the uh, the demolitioner shows up, I, I had no idea what his real connection was. I, oh, I the demolisher is it? Yeah, the demolisher. I, it would it would be a while before I ever got to Brad as a character in the in the uh, in the. Yeah, trades. Brad was uh, Alex's boyfriend. Stalker ex-boyfriend. Blames yeah. Dragon for her death and I think turns to the creator. Interesting uh, Interesting side note is that um, rereading this, I kind of... Oh, I said Brad is named Dale. Dale Fisher. I always go back to Brad. <laughs> There's an interesting side note on here, and I forget where it talks about, but um, I didn't catch this the first time reading around, but... They actually say Johnny Redbeard, who's the creator, he created the Sky Riders and the Rats. And I don't know, I, I guess I blocked that out or just don't remember reading that, but it kind of, you know, the Sky Riders are a bunch of guys that rode like dragons and stuff, which first appeared in the Savage World. And I didn't right. think there was ever like an explanation other than they were like mutations or something. But, you know, I guess a lot of these characters came about because of. Johnny Redbeard, aka the creator, uh, right, who has the powers to give people superpowers, kind of went wild and just gave a bunch of people powers. So he turned Dale into the Demolisher. And then funny fact number two is that it's not this issue, and I can't remember which issue it is. Um, again, Gavin Higginbotham would know, but um, for like a whole issue. The um, the Demolisher, Eric calls him the Devastator. Forget yeah. what issue it is. but It's got to be the next one because he dies. Is it next, next issue? issue? Well, the be. whole issue, he, Eric up. changes his name from Demolisher to Devastator. And I remember when this came out, talking about it in the boards, and Eric was like, whoops, I screwed up there. So it's just funny. His name changes from one issue to the other. And uh, if you look, there already is actually a character called the demolisher so there's like a demolisher one and two there's a demolisher that was part of the annihilators which was cyber forces kind of splinter group from way back in uh the gang war type years so he named this guy demolisher so it's demolisher two and then he named him devastator in another issue and there's already another devastator so it's funny i mean Funny yeah, to us. It, it probably can get a little confusing, but the way I look at that is like, you know, what's the chances that, you know, you know, it's probably good chances that superheroes and supervillains, there would be, you know, guys named the same name because it's like rock bands or whatever, you know, there's always right. somebody exactly. else, you know, named something that's similar or whatever. But it was kind of funny that, you know, couple of issues or an issue later eric totally changes the guy's name and just screwed up but regardless the demolishers got a really cool design kind of no it's just a really good yeah. issue and, and even if it wasn't my favorite my first it would still be one of my favorites the, the fight the just, fight scene between dragon and demolishers pretty damn awesome the way just the action in it punches yeah. thrown you know the way you know, it's like Demolish's fist is coming right out of the panel, maybe, you know. It just it just looks neat. I like it. So yeah, Savage Dragon Nine. Yeah, it's a it's a good issue. And at the end of that, uh Frank breaks the news that 
he killed that dragon killed Alex Wild, and you have to read the next issue to find out how. I think I don't think it's explained. Well, they 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 specify here that it was during uh, Dragon's uh, oh, rampage. Right. Yeah. yeah, Frank in the previous page mentions uh, when he was possessed. That's when it happened. We wouldn't actually see it, I believe, until issue 100 with all those flashback stories. Yeah, yeah it's true. Yep, yep, you're right. But yeah, it's a, it's a good issue. I uh, I enjoy it. I you know a lot of people. I think we we've said this before, but I, I think the Savage World turned off a lot of people. But I I think well, definitely got me. Yeah, in. and I think that time. I think I really feel like that was that's been Eric's peak on the book so far. I think the art style, the writing, I think Eric was just super into, you know, what was going on in that period of Savage Dragon and it shows. And uh, I'm with you. I uh, I like, uh, what's his name, uh, Neutron Bob. And I, I like how they were kind of like buddy-buddy for those few issues. It made for a fun little dynamic. So, good issue. Good issue to start on. Yeah, I gotta wonder if it wasn't for this particular issue, if I'd ever become a fan. I'm I'm sure I would have got I would have investigated it later at some point. Does it blow you? I don't know. It it was a huge gateway comic too. Now that I think about it, I mean, from Savage Dragon, it led me to the big launch about Invincible and Tech Jacket. Yeah, yeah. Well, Noble Causes did that too. I mean, I was really into the the image superheroes at that time, Uh, and I, yeah, and um, of course, yeah, Invincible led me to Walking Dead and. So on and so forth. So really, they all kind of... So you've been collecting Savage Dragon now regularly for over 10 years. Does that kind of blow your mind? It is blowing my mind right now, <laughs> yes. So, and the other thing is this came out a month before, you know, 9-11, which, you know... You're right, it Changed did. everything, basically, on how we live our normal life and fear of terrorism and all that stuff, but... And that would all influence Savage Dragon at some point in the uh, in the proceedings. Yeah, we would never get the Osama bin Laden issue, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, but anyway, it's a it's a good issue. I uh, I enjoyed it a lot. So I think that about wraps it up for uh, our Savage Fincast episode eight. Um, next episode, we highly anticipate we will be reviewing Savage Dragon one eighty one which uh, we're all pretty excited to get our hands on finally. Uh, I don't think we currently have a street date on that yet, so question marks. Yeah, I can't imagine it's going to be too much longer, hopefully. Sounds uh, like he's it's, wrapping it up. From yeah, n- Next week is unlikely, but i got to – wrapping it up? Or finished, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I'm kind of hoping we see it two weeks from yeah. now. So. Before the end of the month, at least. Yeah, and that will kind of wrap up the whole invasion storyline. It's the aftermath of that. And the cover of that of 181 shows dragon floating in space with a bunch of rock debris behind him. So it's like you know, you wonder what happened with his uh, his little spat with his yeah, son. Yeah, crawl. So I can't wait to talk about that one. It's been a while since we've had a new dragon issue in our hands. Yep. So it should be interesting and uh, fun. It's always good to chat Savage Dragon with you, Jim. Yep, it's always good to talk to or you, Supreme. Craig. Or <laughs> Supreme. But, uh, yeah. It's... Supreme's just as good. 
good substitute. Right. Yep. Gotta agree. Cool. So, uh, that's that. The Savage Fincast is a member of the Image Addiction Podcast Network. Find them at imageaddiction.net. The Savage Fincast is generously hosted by guttertrash.net. If you have any questions or comments for the Savage Fincast, email us at savagefincast at gmail.com. Thank you.